Don't sit too far away. Come in. <laughs> Do you have other people coming with you? Come in here and sit with you. Right there. So we can look at you in the eye. How you doing, Rob? All right. Can we find our seats? It is so good to see uh, many of you here today. Uh, I think there are many that uh, are here, um, and there are others that uh, are looking on online. And I don't know, have we uh, started our online? Pro okay, we are online. So... Let me just say, first of all, welcome to all of you, and I would say to you, good morning, Cap City. Uh, all right, now I would say, uh, when I say Cap City, would you just shout out the name of the church that you're from, okay? Good morning. Whoa, I tell you what. Okay, and let's just shout out the name that brings us here. One, two, three. Jesus. That's right. We're all one together. It's great to have some dear, wonderful friends here, some people who really have the heart for evangelism, and uh, this is just going to be a great time. Well, uh, you see, I don't know if you've seen the schedule, but what we're going to be doing is Mike Holbrook is going to lead us off, and then I'm going to speak, and then uh, Larry Frick uh, is going to speak, and I'll introduce him in just uh, a few moments. Larry is a great man, and uh, Dr. Larry Frick, and then uh, we're going to take a little break, and there are biscuits and gravy, there are donuts, there is coffee, you can get uh, anything that you would like. And so uh, we'll be doing that. Then we come back at 10.55, and Jim Daft, one of my dear friends, is going to speak about evangelism uh, and how we see all this taking place. And then uh, Dr. Doug Carter, who cannot be with us in person, uh, but will be live-streamed into us from his home in Atlanta, Georgia. And I want to welcome everyone who is online Thank you. Let's give them a, a, a note of praise. Thank you for joining us online. I believe we have people from North Carolina and Florida and perhaps Arizona. Uh, we have some people from uh, different parts of the city here in Columbus and, and many different cities uh, across uh, the, the land here. So thank you for coming. And we believe that this is going to be a revolutionary day. So as we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and our general superintendent is coming, Dr. Mike Holbrook, and he is going to share with us uh, his heart and vision for evangelism. Our Father, as we come before you today, we have gathered on purpose. This purpose we have gathered intentionally. Lord, not to just talk and think, but Lord, we want to get in the game. And so I pray today that as we talk to those who are here who have taken time on a Saturday morning to be in this place, I just pray that you will speak to us, set a fire burning in our soul, that we might do what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Dr. Mike Holbrook, my good friend, been general superintendent now for three years, and uh, is the man who gave us the great call of a great commission movement. So, Mike, glad to have you. Thank you, Pastor David. Seems uh, funny calling you pastor again, but uh, congratulations on being here as interim. And I do want to just recognize David. Uh, stand up. I don't, well, I don't know if they have a camera spanning or not, but would you just share your appreciation to uh, David Dean for having this and putting all the work that he's done uh, for this? He is actually carrying the ball of this vision and doing a great job with it. Uh, we welcome all of you. Thank you for being here. And um, it's been a challenge these days, hasn't it? In our churches and in our communities, um, waiting on that Supreme Court ruling and things of that nature on mandates and, and all of that. So it's been a challenge uh, for all of us. So I want to welcome the online people as well. Thank you for joining this way. Thank you for being here in person. And just turn to somebody and say, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Amen. Well, let's begin this time with uh, just something to maybe help us smile a little bit. There is a, a saying that I want to be put up here. Uh, it says, I am not sure exactly how it works, but <laughs> I want you to read this full description before looking at the picture. Don't put the picture up till I tell you. The picture has two identical dolphins in it. It was used as in a case study of stress at St. Mary's Hospital. Look at both dolphins jumping out of the water. There you go. Now, if you... Do not see two dolphins, what the article says. You may need a vacation. How many need a vacation? There you go. We do need a vacation from all this stuff that's going on. But let me tell you something. As exciting as a vacation, the Great Commission is just as exciting. The Great Commission and bringing people to Christ where they can know and have the assurance that they're going to heaven, what a wonderful, exciting time that it is. And we come today with this Great Commission movement, not just with excitement. I'm excited about it. David's doing a great job unfolding it to our denomination and working that out. We have about 80 churches right now, I believe, that are agreeing to being Great Commission churches. And, and uh, there's a booklet out there that tells you what that means. And uh, so we encourage you to get the, the booklet and, and look at that. And if you'd like to join us, please do that. But I come not only with excitement, but I come with urgency. It's urgent today that we follow Christ's command, his vision. How did the Great Commission movement come about? And I, David says it's my vision. And uh, for the denomination, I suppose it is. But it, it, it comes from God. I uh, took several months praying, diligently praying, went several different avenues in Scripture and thought, well, you know, I work best from knowing a direction, having a, um, a vision from the Lord and those kind of things. And I've worked with the Great Commission before. David Latimer, uh, Global Focus, uh, there in the missions program, kind of highlighted some of that and, and uh, you know, excited us with that as well. And all of that put together, I just began to pray and Kept going back to Matthew, the Great Commission. Kept going back.
to where the Holy Spirit uh, is the authority. And we're to go, and we're to win, and we're to disciple. And I, I just came to that understanding, Lord, <laughs> the Great Commission, we ought to start being doing that, right? Or every church should be a part of that. Every church should be doing Great Commission. And yet it came back to me, every church should be doing Great Commission. And there's anything better to follow as a vision, it's God's vision. So I just want you to know this is his vision, it's urgent. This is one of the last statements that he made before he left this earth. You know, we need, we need to be Great Commission people and be a Great Commission movement. And so as we, we, we go on with that, I was walking down the street of Portsmouth, Ohio, and this picture, I took this picture. You might even see my reflection in the picture there in the, the window. And if you'll see that, the house of God, and look down in the far right corner, for sale. Now, you, you see those every once in a while, but I was going through this process in my own heart. And I looked at that, and I said, oh, Lord, let's not let this happen. The church is not for sale. The church is to be triumphant. The church is to move forward. The church is to be great commission. And so it breaks my heart to think that a church might be for sale. And I know we, we have our times, and we go through uh, the processes of the church and things of that nature, but God's church is not for sale today. God's church should be standing tall, and it's going to take all of us together to do it. We can do more together than we can on our own. Amen? So I knew there was going to have to be some things take place. Next uh, slide shows the original computer. The original computer. We have to change. Amen? How many want to go back to the original computer? I'm going to admit to you, sometimes I do. I get to, to typing away, and I have to, you know, backspace quite a bit, and I don't uh, uh, know how to get to a certain place. Thank goodness for, for Becky Hux, my uh, assistant there that helps me. I had her come in yesterday. She said, Becky, I think I lost something. Can you help me find it? And sure enough, about two other clicks, we found it again. And a uh, matter of fact, it was this PowerPoint, I believe. <laughs> you may not have had this PowerPoint if we hadn't, she hadn't been there to help me. But do you want to change and not to become Great Commission churches? As a denomination, the denomination's great. And, and you may be questioning why I'm even saying this, but... Uh, the Great Commission is, is, is great in a denomination. Churches of Christ and Christian Union, other denominations, wonderful. But if we're not doing Great Commission work, there's no need for a denomination. There's no need for a local church unless we are doing Great Commission work and following God's commandment. So the Great Commission movement is with the Great Commandment mandate comes out of the Scriptures, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Luke 10, 27. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Hmm. How about that? 
and your neighbor as yourself. How about that? What a challenge God has for us. So the vision came about from that, and, and um, as I, I began to look with it, guys like John Maxwell, Stan Toller come to mind, I've talked to them many, many times, and actually Stan, before he passed away, uh, allowed me to work with an acronym that he's worked with before called GREAT. And I used the GREAT of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, those letters as an acronym for G to mean grow, E to mean relationship, or R to mean relationship, E to mean equip, A to assimilate and get people out into service, and then T to teach and preach relevantly. And so uh, as you look at this vision, that great is very simple, and I work best with simple, don't you? Amen. The result of this vision is hopefully and planned out to be transformation, to change lives. I don't know where you live, but where I live, there's people that's unsaved. There's people that I love in my family that are unsaved. And my prayer is that God will come into their heart and transform them and change their life. Amen? So that's our goal with all of this. And with it, the great step of that comes from our heritage as a denomination of evangelism. Evangelism. Now, evangelism is an old term, isn't it? But I can't think of a better term. I can't think of a, of a better way to say it today than evangelism. We want to evangelize the lost. And uh, that comes to me as our heritage as a denomination from Grayson Ferguson. Grayson Ferguson was my um, seniors pastor when I went to Circleville First Church. Grayson, um, oh, I don't know, early 80s when I went there, I suppose, and a great guy. I'll tell you what, we, if you heard him preach, you'd never forget his preaching. He'd probably walk the back of the pews and, you know, well, never mind. He, he just was a, a great, uh, great preacher, loved people. And we began to build a fellowship hall in our, at our church, at Circleville First Church on Clinton Street and East Ohio Street. And um, we went out to the corner, and the foundation was down, and I wanted to hear from Grayson. I said, Grayson, what, what do you think of this? And um, before he said anything about what we were doing, tears started flowing down his cheek. And he said, I don't know, but he says, I stand here on this corner. I can't help but think of my father, who was one of our founders, O.L. Ferguson, how he probably stood right here on this corner and looked across the strode, probably wasn't a street there at the time, probably a cornfield, said, this is where God wants us to plant a church so that across the road, that church can help the campgrounds and have camp meetings. Well, across the street was Mount of Praise Camp. Circleville First Church was birthed. The rest is history. O.L. Ferguson and men like him, our founding fathers, had vision. And it was great commission to see people come to Christ no matter what. As we, we uh, work with this, the great commission reveals some things 
in my mind. It reveals a Savior with all power. Think about that where you are. All power. Nothing He cannot do. And if we are following His commandment, how much more He will honor that. Amen? Oh, there's stories that I could tell and, and go into that, but uh, I, I don't have time this morning. But you have stories. You have stories. You have things you could share about His power and how He uh, works in our lives. It reveals a Savior for all people. There is not a people group in this world He does not love. There is not a people group in this world that He did not die for. And so it reveals a Savior for all people. Go into all the earth. Then it's, it reveals a Savior for all time. And I don't know how much time we have. 2022. Wow. 2022. I graduated in college in 1978. And I thought, man, is 2000 ever going to come? And now it's 2022. And it's just unbelievable of God's patience. And His Holy Spirit being put upon us so that we can do His work. And so we need to be about the Father's business. I believe it's Great Commission work. Now, there's Great Commission life. Uh, it's revealed in some scriptures. Acts 1.8, of course, we know that. Um, you know, we'll receive power. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. Acts 2, 1 through 4. I believe that is the um, evidence, of course, of the Holy Spirit coming to, to our church, coming to uh, our world. Acts 2, 41 through 47, after Peter preached, 3,000 people were saved. I'd like to have been there. I'd like to have been there to see 3,000 people saved at that time. He preached. And then it says there that they, they grew up, they stayed in the apostles' doctrine, they grew together in love and all in one accord, and I won't tell the joke about the Honda, and uh, they all were in one accord. And then it says there that uh, they went out, in verse 47, praising God, <laughs> and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And I think that's what God wants to do for us. I believe he wants us to praise him, to honor him, and enjoy. He will add to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, as I go through this, that, that's how the vision came about. That's the, the reason it, it's, it's formed in my heart and the heart of the denomination. And thank you, David, for working so diligently with that. And others are doing that as well. Our committee of David Latimer, and uh, we also have Phil Spriggs and Jim Daft, uh, with that, and we're bringing on Lonnie Potts as a discipler here. So we we're, we're, we got a, a great committee working with this. But as I think about it, it starts with evangelism. And so why is evangelism so important? As I, I work through this, I think one of the reasons is Christ is our Savior. That's why evangelism is so important. Christ is our Savior. Will you quote John 3.16 with me? And let's do it in the old King James. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. He's our Savior. 
He came for that purpose. And I think not only is Christ as our Savior, but his compassion. His compassion. And you can throw the next slides up if you'd like. His compassion. In Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. And then in Matthew, it says, He went to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That's a question I have for you. When you see the multitudes, how do you feel? Oh, that nasty group. Ooh, you know, how can they do that? Or do we... Are we moved with compassion upon them? Jesus was moved with compassion. He moved with compassion because they fainted, were scattered abroad, and as sheep having no shepherd. More and more in our world today, I see more people that are without a shepherd. They're lost. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. The church continues to have the answer for that. And we are the church too. We're that building as God comes into our heart. So what moves us? Evangelism comes about as the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. We can't do it alone, amen? Can't do it alone. We have to have his power and we have to have his direction within us. And that there, there's uh, something I'd like to say about that. This all begins with prayer. This all begins with prayer. And asking God to anoint and asking God to go before us. Um, because I promise you, if you go out and you try to talk to a neighbor or talk to somebody the, the first time, you may get the door slammed in your face. It may not be a pleasant experience. But you can walk away knowing that you tried to do what God wanted you to do. And eventually that door may open back up again. I prayed and prayed and prayed about our neighbor. So I left the pastorate and uh, went into um, being DS, uh, became a lot harder to have those names, you know, to go out and visit and talk to. And um, so I began to pray for my neighbors, and uh, one of them was Dick. And Dick uh, was, loved to mow, and I was mowing our yard, and we'd cross paths one another. And if you've heard this story, forgive me, but it just, it just shows the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'd talk with him. And he told me he was a scientist and that he wasn't sure about God and whether there was a God. And so I knew I had my work cut out for me. But he's a great guy. And so we would talk most of the time while we were mowing. <laughs> we'd stop and talk a little bit. He'd come over to my shed and I'd go to his shed and, and we'd work, at, work some things out, woodworking and uh, those kind of things. But uh, Dick asked me to come over one time and I did open up the gospel to him and and. Uh, prayed in their house, and yet I don't know how, how much that was accepted. Um, then he got ill, 
And I went to visit him in the nursing home. And uh, his wife, Dale, uh, was there. And he wasn't talking. They didn't think he was going to make it. And I asked her if I could pray for him. And she said, sure. I prayed and came back about, you know, two or three days later. And he was awake. And he said, I understand you prayed for me. Yeah, that's right. And I said, uh, I think the Lord's touched you, uh, Dick. And I said, Dick, I know you have wondered if there's a God, but I think he's touched you. I think he's here. I go, wouldn't you like to know that if something did happen to you, you could go to heaven? And he looked at me and said, yes, I would. First time ever breaking that barrier. I'm going to tell you, it was about two and a half years later that that happened. I prayed with him. He prayed, he prayed the sinner's prayer, all the, the things that you, you, you learned uh, and taught to do. And, and um, oh, a couple weeks later, he was able to come home, and Dale was driving up the driveway. Uh, I was out mowing. <laughs> and uh, and um, one thing that I did for him, I mowed his yard for him, too. I asked him what I could do, and he said, well, my yard needs mowed. So I mowed his yard while he was uh, not able to, and that, that meant something to him. But as he drove up the, the driveway and got out, had this big old diaper on him, and uh, he wasn't well, had to have help out. And I ran up to him. I said, Dick, so good to see you home. You know, the first thing he said to me wasn't, oh, it's good to be home. First thing he said to me wasn't, well, thanks for mowing my yard. First thing he said to me was, Mike, is it true? I said, Dick, what do you mean, is it true? Is it true that I can go to heaven? And I said, Dick, did you mean it when we prayed? He says, yes, I did. Do you believe that Jesus is real and he's in your heart? Oh, yes, I do. I said, Dick, then you're on your way to heaven. And he kept on crying, helped him inside. So I one other time. And three weeks later, I had Dick's funeral. What a relief to know that Dick's in heaven. I'm going to be with a friend, a neighbor. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit that this takes place. That's great commission work. And God's calling us to do that. What does evangelism do for you? And I'll close with this, David. I know, hope I haven't taken too much time. I don't know how much time I got. Um, what does evangelism do for you? Firstly, I think it's personal excitement. Amen? The excitement, first of all, may come with fear. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, what do I say? How do I say it? Are they going to accept me? Those kind of things. But I want to tell you, when you get into personal evangelism and you, you start doing Great Commission work, there's excitement in it. There's excitement in it. And, uh, and then there's a sense of purpose. You wonder what purpose you have in life? It's to mind the Lord and to obey His commands and to bring people to Christ. So it's a sense of purpose. It's a fulfillment, a feeling of fulfillment. When, when I go with Jim or when I've been with, with others and someone gets saved, you walk away from there thinking, wow, what a miracle. This is fulfilling in my life. And then spiritual growth. It's a personal spiritual growth because you realize, man, if somebody's going to come to Christ, I better walk the path, you know? I better walk the walk. I better talk the talk. 
because I want them to see Christ in me. And so there's a spiritual growth that takes place in that. And, and then there, there, you, you get your eyes off of other things and other people, and that's a focus. There's a spiritual confidence that when the Holy Spirit uses you, that you're valuable to the kingdom of God. There's a reaping of investments. Now, what do I mean by that? Spiritual investments. You can reap those things from God as you follow the Great Commission. And then I think maybe the greatest thing, it's an honor just to be God's agent, to be used of him in these days. I want to tell you, I was not born into this world. I was not born into this world, but I'm living in this world. I want to tell you what, there are lost people everywhere. And God wants us to be great commission people. In closing, I was sitting on the couch one day. My son, Ryan, was, he walked in and uh, gotten married and just walked in. I was sitting on the couch. I thought he'd come in and sit down and say something. But he went into one of the drawers in the kitchen, pulled out this little card, and there we have pens and cards in a, in a drawer and pulled out a pen. He went over to the counter where we could see over it and I could see he was writing something. He just wrote it down. He looked at me and smiled and then left. I got up real quick and he'd already driven out and he was gone. I thought, well, what in the world? So I walked back in. I pull up this card off the counter. Think what we could do if we were as motivated to reach the lost as the devil is motivated to reach the saved. He wrote his name Ryan. That's a treasure. You can't, no amount of money will give me. You can give me for that. But how true it is, Amen. Allow the Holy Spirit today to motivate you, the air of evangelism, for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. Thank you. God bless you. I think coming up next is our host and pastor, uh, Reverend David Dean. Again, show him your appreciation for his uh, work here for the Great Commission. And when you're doing that, you might want to give applause to Connie as well. I think they work well as a team. Amen? I think she got a louder applause. But... Oh, yeah. Without her, we don't get along uh, anywhere. And so uh, she keeps me in line and keeps me going. And so thank you, Connie. Thank you, everyone, Giles and the people from Obetz Nazarene. It's great to see you and Jay. And it's great to see our folks from uh, uh, up in, uh, the, your, what do you, your Connect Church now in uh, Delaware. It's great to see some folks from Valley View. It's great to see some folks from uh, my Brookside Church, my dear friend Rob Ogg. Uh, I love Rob Ogg. Rob Ogg uh, came to the service one morning, and uh, he and his wife had visited the church, and and he was trying to find the Lord, and he sent me a note, and he said, 
I think you're the one that knows all things about God, so I'd like to talk to you. And uh, was able to lead him to the Lord. He became a part of our Bible study. I still miss that. And uh, we've got one started here, but uh, I miss the one that we had there. And it's good to see people from Waverly and uh, Plain City and down in Portsmouth. And uh, it's great to see, yes, Cheryl, it's good to see you and, and from Circleville First Church. And so uh, this is just... Uh, if I've missed anybody, it's great to have some of our college students, Rose Carroll, uh, who is with us from OCU, and we have some other OCU people that are watching online. So uh, those of you that are online, I've got uh, a lot of different uh, notes that we have people watching from all over the country, and so uh, may the Lord just help us as we try to, to do this together and just see what God wants. Well, I want to talk to you for just a moment about uh, a vision for becoming a Great Commission Church. And I just want to say that for the past three years, we have heard the call of God to become a Great Commission Church. And our general superintendent has given this call, bright, and, and given this call. And I think it's beginning to take deep root in not only a several hearts, but in our churches. And I am so great that the call is that we would become a Great Commission movement. We have talked about, and you'll see it here on the slide, that we have talked about uh, praying that God would call a hundred churches. Uh, and those churches are that the church board appoints a Great Commission leader, the church recruits prayer warriors or intercessors to pray, uh, the church challenges people to win one person this year, the church establishes a discipleship process, and the church recruits community Christ followers. We have put together a number of resources. The Great Commission workbook that you can order from headquarters, and they're here in the lobby, and we'll show those to you online uh, in just a little while. Uh, the Great Commission workbook, the discipleship lessons for growing believers. We have Living in the Power of One, I Stand by the Door, and video resources now that have been put together, whereby that you can take the YouTube video and actually understand how to make, especially in the Jerusalem portion of your church, how to make this work with the prayer list, with the prayer uh, warriors, with the Great Commission witnesses, with the Great Commission community Christ followers, and the Great Commission discipleship in individuals. It is a great, it's all free, and uh, you can go to YouTube, and I believe it's called Great Commission Movement. And uh, there are six videos there. They're set up in 15-minute segments so that you can look at one and uh, then begin to understand it. For those of you that are not with us, uh, this would be a great term. And even those of you that are, be a great way to take home, and because you can go on your computer, you can go on your phone, you can go anywhere you want to go, and it has uh, Dr. Mark, uh, Mike Holbrook talking, it has uh, Dr. David Latimer talking, and I'm talking uh, about what it all means about the Great Commission, becoming a Great Commission church uh, in your local church. And then there is a growth talk where we just talk about the importance of evangelism. So resources have been uh, made available, and uh, we will help you with that again before we leave. But at this point, 
I am so very aware that we have only talked, when we've talked about the Great Commission movement, we have only talked about really the area of Jerusalem. We have not really reached out to talk about Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. And it is my deep conviction that we cannot be truly a Great Commission church if our only focus is Jerusalem. Should we focus on Jerusalem? Absolutely. But should we stop there? We cannot. And there is a whole process that God has given to us. And I would just like to say that uh, God is, has been breathing uh, a lot of things into my heart, and not only in my heart, uh, but Judy Trimble Croom uh, is here, and we have asked Judy, uh, who is kind of, no, not, I'm sorry, Judy, who is a missionary to Egypt and other places. I'm going to say kind of a missionary, but that's not correct. Uh, you are a missionary, just returned from Egypt. And she and, and I have been working together to understand what does it look like, not just in Jerusalem, but what does it look like in Judea? What does it look like in Samaria? And what does it look like to the ends of the earth? I want to read just a, a passage of Scripture for you, and this is found in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's beginning in verse 7, and I'm going to read to you from the message, so it may not read just exactly the way um, the, the Bible that you have there, unless you have it on your phone or you have a message. But I want you to hear this. In verse 7, Paul is saying this, This is my life work. Would you say that with me? This is my life work. Helping people understand and respond to this message. Will you say that with me? Helping people understand and respond to this message. We could go on and read about all of the different things here about Paul is talking about how he was the least of all and, and that God saw to it that he was equipped and, and here he is preaching and teaching about things that are way over his head and I think all of us feel that way. But I want to just focus for a moment. Let me give you a new definition of evangelism. And I'd really like for you to write this down if you could. The definition of evangelism is to help people first understand. What do they understand? They need to understand that God loves them. They need to understand John 3.16, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the simplest, easiest, most succinct way I can tell you uh, when Paul is talking about this great mystery of the faith, when he's talking about the mystery that was hid from the foundation of the world. What is that mystery? The mystery is John 3.16. And so we have been talking a great deal, and we're going to just share this with you. Your first role in this work, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth, is to help people understand God loves them. It is the first. If they don't understand that, it is hard for them then to move to the other side of it, to respond. We help them understand, and we'll talk about this in, in, in just a few minutes for a, a lot of different ways. But not only to understand, but to respond. They have to come to the place of saying, yes, I know God loves me. What shall I do about this? And we've got to somehow lovingly bless them, lead them into a place of understanding. And we all may do it just a little different. But we all have to get them to the place somewhere, someplace, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? To only help them understand that God loves them is good, but it's only half the task. We've got to get them to the point, at some point, where they're able to respond. And so we're saying that our mission is to help people understand and respond to the message of Christ, which is John 3.16. Now, when we talk about uh, Jerusalem, and, and we have talked a lot about that, we have the workbooks that are out there that have been developed, uh, and I'm just going to mention this very quickly, um, that uh, because it's all on the video, it's all on different things, and we can come and talk to you uh, if you would like to, to do more uh, about this in Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, here's what we are saying. We are saying that our ministry must begin with intentional prayer. Intentional prayer. We, it all begins with prayer, and until we pray, and until we understand, we've got to call up people. We've got to bring people into a sense of burden. If you're trying to just do it in your own strength, it will not happen. We're doing the 21 days of prayer right now with Highlands, and it's a great experience, and I hope some of your churches are doing that as well. But it begins with intentionally praying for lost people and praying for ministries. Uh, it also then begins to come to where we intentionally uh, build relationships. I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes uh, about how you can build a relationship. But without a relationship, it is almost impossible to share the love of Christ. Now, you can build a relationship in a short amount of time. Some people can do that very quickly. Uh, but other people, uh, it's all about relationship, intentionally building relationship. And then third, we are asking people uh, to intentionally equip. We want to intentionally equip those people who have a heart for God. 
And what do you mean a heart for God? Well, I said something to our board the other day, and, and Jim Daft will uh, come and speak to you in just a minute. And Jim's rather confrontational, to be quite honest. Would you say that's true, Jim? Amen. Yeah, I'd say that's right. That, uh, uh, I took him to Willow Creek Church in Chicago one time. We stopped at a Dairy Queen. He had somebody over in a corner uh, asking him if they died today, they're ready to go to heaven. And uh, so Jim is pretty confrontational. But God has honored and blessed him. And what I'm telling us here at Cap City, and those of you that have been here, you've heard me say this recently. We have got to become more intentional in trying to speak to people. We dance around, we do kind of things, we're afraid. I told that to uh, our new staff member, Ed Davis, who's on the, the Cap City staff. On Sunday, Monday, he called me and said, David, it's been a great day. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, been wonderful. He said, uh, I went over to see my wife at the cafe, and somebody's there needing a ride. To, they had to go to uh, the bus stop. And I said, well, I'll give you a ride to the bus stop. Long story short, as they rode to the bus stop, he looked over at him and said, I'm going to ask you a question. If you died today... Do you know where you're going to go spend eternity? The guy starts bawling in the car and says, no, I don't know. I used to know that. He said, well, let me pray with you. In the car, he committed, recommitted his life to Christ. And, and then Ed not only helped him respond, but he understood, gave him money for the bus ticket, gave him his number, and said, find a church in Kentucky where you're going. And, and then he came back to the church, and somebody here was trying, one of our neighbors needed a marker, and to make a long story short again, uh, he said, sure, you can have a marker, found out the guy knew some people he used to go to school with. He said, well, by the way, if you died today, you know where you're going to heaven? Isn't that what you said, Ed? Is that something like that? You know? And the guy started crying. He said, I haven't been in church for years and years. And, uh, and so he was able to pray with him. I know that doesn't work for everybody. It's okay. Look at the person beside you and say, I don't think that'll work for me. <laughs> I heard Jim say, I think it'll work for me. But I dare, I think we all need to get a little more intentional about this. And so then our strategy is to develop discipleship groups and develop a discipleship group. Our, our strategy is to then begin to intentionally address the needs in our community. And I'm so glad Jay Slinker is here. He is the head of Hope on High. And some of you that need to get acquainted with Jay and Pete Wallace and, and the guys who do all of this work, we are a part of it, but we're not doing what we should. So, Jay, thank you for what you're doing on Hope on High. Giving out food to the homeless, giving out clothes. Yeah, let's give him a hand. I think that's what it's about, about community transformation. That's where we're headed. And then we must intentionally uh, pray and work. And, and this is something, and, and for uh, Nick and some of you that are here in the Columbus area that have come and every church, actually, that is here, my prayer is, oh, God, help us to have a vision in Valley View and other places that are here. Let's have a heart to win our city for God. And I want to tell you what, if we're going to win our city for God, I just want to tell you, we can't do it from down here on the south end all by ourselves. Amen? 
We need to have partnerships. And you can't do it all the way from Delaware, all for yourself. And you can't do it on the west side, all for yourself. And we have others everywhere. But what happens if we all come together and come together to pray and believe and work together as the body of Christ? We can have an impact on our city. And that is my heart. And that is my desire. When we talk about this, building relationships, and Judy Kroom helped me with most of this, um, but when we talk about building relationships, there's a very simple acrostic that you can use. Uh, it's called this. Forgetting about myself, intentionally loving you. Forgetting about myself, intentionally loving you. Most of the times we're afraid of evangelism because we're afraid, well, what are they going to think of me? Well, why don't you just forget about yourself and intentionally try to love others? And then the other plan for, for the, the great majority of people who don't have the heart, gift, or the uh, personality of Jim Daft, Ed Davis, and maybe David Dean, uh, that, uh, that, that you're just a little more as it works. It's, and it's okay. There's no, my father-in-law used to say, there is no wrong way to lead somebody to Jesus. Amen? Is that right? Amen. No wrong way to lead somebody to Jesus. And so we want to try to love them, and so we need to bless them. And so what we want to do on the blessing side is begin to pray for someone. If it's that neighbor, if it's a worker, if it's a family, begin to pray for them. Second, listen to their story. Last night in our Wednesday night, uh, or last Wednesday night, we had a wonderful young man, Jared Dabney, who told us that his church where he came from in Xenia had a whole story that, or a whole plan that said, what's your story? And so talk to people and just ask people, what's your story? and listen to where they're at, and then you can begin to, to share with them. Uh, listen to their story. E, eat or drink coffee together. You know, it's amazing how a cup of coffee can, can really help you relax. And uh, <laughs> that's right, Randy. That's true, Randy. And, uh, and then serve them, help them in every way. And then share your story and the message of Christ. And by doing those things, you can help them understand and respond to the message of Christ. Let's go to Judea for just a moment, and I'm going to just kind of run through this rather quickly, because we're just now in at Cap City, and uh, just now starting to put some of this together that I hope that some of you from other places uh, will be able uh, to work with us. When we talk about Judea, we're talking about the, the area that is, is close to us, and, and we're focusing on how can we plant churches? How can we help churches be revitalized? And this is the newest, and I think before all this pandemic is done, all of us may be looking at this more than we think, that some of the larger churches now, where people are afraid to get out with COVID and other things, they have what they call a home church. And the home church is not just where, okay, 
us and our four get together no more. They invite their neighbor. And they sit together and say, this is, we're going to stream into this home. And this will work if you have people that are driving long distances. Do you realize if there are people that used to be in your church, but now they're far away, or there are people that you want to see plant a church, we could do this in the area uh, of Judea. And so when we talk about Judea, we cannot stop with just thinking about Jerusalem. We've got to think about how are we going to help churches get planted? How are we going to help churches be revitalized? And uh, with some of the great technology that we have going forward, I just know there are things that uh, Nick and, and Bill and some of you guys that are really into this, as we get together with uh, Eric and, and guys who know what they're doing, I don't, I just stand up here, you know, but guys who know what they're doing, and Phil Spriggs who's watching in Washington Courthouse and other places, uh, that if we come together, I think we can do something in technology that could be amazing in helping churches revitalize. So that's Judea. Then you come to Samaria, and we're talking about Samaria. And I, I use this term Samaria as the cross-cultural area. And, uh, and Pastor Jay and, and some of us uh, made a little attempt at that early on, and it, some of it went good, some of it didn't go so good. But we tried to make during the, the, the things that were uh, going on that we want to, to try to reach out cross-culturally. And we're defining Samaria as people who do not look like me, people who may, who may speak a different language than me, people who may come from a different background than me, and even people who do not believe like me. And that could be in Columbus or it could be wherever. But I think God is calling us to cross-cultural ministry. We need to come together and to be the agent of peace and to be the agent. And so we were talking about how in the world can we have a large Somali population here in Columbus. And so I said, well, how in the world do we reach out to a Somali population in Columbus? Because she said, we find someone a church or someone else who is already working there and partner with them and talk to them and say, how can we partner together? What could we do? And wouldn't it be something if churches of all kinds of racial uh, backgrounds came together and we build a partnership with them and, and just see what we could do? We have a call to go to Samaria to people who are not like us. And then finally the ends of the earth and the Great Commission really revolves around one word. The Great Commission revolves around just one word and that's the ends of the earth. And that is, the word is go. And saying go and that means be present with them. You can't hardly do that from a distance. You've got to, to walk with them. You've got to understand them. You've got to uh, be present where they are.
to go listening, go loving, go sharing. And everyone who goes, and I know Larry Frick, that's exactly what he does. I know Judy Frick, that's exactly what they do. And as we go, not with our agendas, and the old line is, if we're talking about the ends of the earth, we either pray, give, go. If you can't go, you pray and give. If you can't give, you pray and go. If you can't do any of those things, you pray. And God wants all of us to be. But we're looking in at this church as we're trying to develop a Great Commission church, of becoming a church that, and we're not doing this as well as I want to right now. So even those of you that are here at Cap City understand I'm casting a vision here, not saying what we're doing. We need to be intentionally praying for the world. Do you really pray for the world? Do you have some kind of a system where you pray for the world? We need to be intentionally praying that God would raise up from our church. Who can we send to the world? Who from our church would go and, and then intentionally equipping those who are sent into the world? And then we realize that the world is so big we cannot possibly, with our little church, reach the whole world so we have missionaries that are all around intentionally giving to those we send to the world. And I love this, and, and Miss Judy gave me this idea as well, and I thought, that this is so true. I'd love to see churches intentionally partnering with other churches around the world. Think what that would do. I've got some folks that I work with in Pakistan, and um, they may be watching. Uh, Maria from Pakistan and, and uh, Nathan Watson from Pakistan. Uh, they said they would. I don't know with the time frame how uh, different it might be there. But what would happen if your church partnered with a small church in another place and said, we just want you to know we're going to work with you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to perform a fellowship with you. And it's not just through the mediaries, and thank God for the mediaries, but to intentionally partnering with other churches for a long-term impact. Here's what I want you to know. It is my life work. I want to be a Great Commission church in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in all the world. And so what I'm giving you today is the foundational piece of becoming a Great Commission church, not just focused on Jerusalem, but focused on the world. Lord, lift up our eyes to the harvest. Help us to understand what it means to send forth laborers into the harvest, for the harvest is plenteous, but the workers and the laborers 
are few. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. It is my joy now to introduce to you, and after Larry gets done, well, if you want to do that, that's fine. You want to give a note of praise? I'm more interested as we get to the end of this day that we'll get in the game than just getting a nice round of applause. So uh, anyway, um, it's my joy to introduce Larry Frick. He's a medical doctor. Uh, he moved to uh, Chillicothe, Ohio, uh, just out of medical school. He came into our church on Sunday night. He had a sweatshirt and jeans on, and his wife was dressed very casually. Uh, they walked out of the service that night, and someone said, do you know who that is? I said, I have no idea. They said, that's the new doctor in town. I said, that's the new doctor. He looks very young, you know, compared to someone my age. And uh, Larry became not only a very marvelous physician, and I could talk a lot about how he's helped me over the years, uh, wonderful physician. Uh, he was a wonderful board member and helped us walk through some, uh, some real battles. And, and I watched as he went through this idea of giving up a medical practice, thriving medical practice, to walk into becoming a full-time missionary. And that's what he's doing now. And uh, he's going to talk to us today about discipleship and what they do in Go International. That's where he works. And then he is also, tomorrow, going to talk about his call, how God directed him to leave a thriving medical practice to become a medical missionary. So let's give him a hand as he comes. Larry, it's great to have you, Cap City. It is such a joy to be with you all um, today. As David mentioned, um, part of that, that calling for us was leaving Ohio to move to the Lexington, Kentucky area. And so whenever I come back to Ohio and get the chance to speak in churches, we have connections still with a lot of churches um, here in Columbus and, and Chillicothe all, all over Ohio. Um, I always point out that God, what God called us to do was be a missionary to SEC country. And it is so good to be back in Big Ten country. So um, it can be, be kind of rough hearing about the Wildcats all the time down there, but uh, it's, it's good to be back. I um, uh, wish my wife Marcy could be with us. Um, we just so much appreciate David and Connie and what they meant to us and, and our lives um, from being those young, apparently underdressed uh, churchgoers back in the day. Um, and so uh, we're just blessed to... to um, have been under their leadership for many years and how God used them in our lives. And, and it's good to be with um, you all uh, this morning um, as well. So as David mentioned, I'm going to talk a lot about a journey uh, tomorrow. Uh, but I'm going to talk about a little bit of a journey uh, this morning as well. But this journey is going to start a lot more recently. Um, as David mentioned, I went to join the staff of Go International in, in 2008. And when I was uh, beginning there, my job was to lead medical teams. And so I would take medical teams overseas. And we would go into villages, um, generally places that didn't have health care, uh, with our partner ministries, and, and do these medical teams. And it didn't take me very long to realize that these teams had pretty limited medical impact in the long run. They were great for the people that came with us, and we've mentored all kinds of medical students and, and others, doctors and nurses over the years, and, and it was a great experience for them and really impacted their lives when they came back, so that's awesome. 
And it also made a difference for our partners that we partnered with, for their ministries, giving them access to new villages to plant churches or to minister and, and outreach and, and help grow churches. So that was really good. But as far as the patients we were treating, I realized we're going home and they're going to get sick again. And that was just the reality. And also, most of the things we were seeing were preventable. And so really began to focus on how are we going to help these communities in areas of prevention and health education and things that are going to have a lot more long-term impact. And so I went to some training uh, called Community Health Evangelism. And really, honestly, that, that really changed my life and ministry because it really gave us a platform to say, okay, we're going to go into this community and we'll provide some medical care, but when we go home, what are you going to do to improve the health of your community? And it gave us this opportunity to help them and help them begin to develop um, community health programs. It also began to give an opportunity for the real call of the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not say go and make converts. Doesn't say go and get people to pray a prayer or sign a card or raise a hand in a service. Great Commission says go make disciples. And so through community health evangelism, we really have that opportunity. The, the medical teams are a great opportunity for evangelism, but what we really want to get to is disciple making. And so that's what I want to talk about. That's really what our ministry has developed into over the last uh, 10, 10 or so years especially is is this whole idea of community development and making disciples through community health evangelism. So, 2020. I, the next slide there you can go to. Um, that was my last mission trip of 2020. I landed back in the U.S. on March 1st, having no idea that I wouldn't leave the country again for another year. But of course, with COVID and the pandemic, that's exactly what happened. And as for all of us, it really led to a lot of prayer. You're locked in your house all day for weeks at a time. you got time to pray. And God, what do you want us to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? What do we do as a ministry? Our ministry, Go International, is taking people on mission teams. We can't travel now. What do we do? Our partners that we partner with overseas, how do they have church? They don't have, their people don't have access to technology. They can't Zoom or Facebook. Most of the people in, in a lot of these villages don't have that. How are they supposed to minister to their people now? Um, what are we going to do? And one thing we're convinced of, the Great Commission cannot be quarantined. So we know that that's the truth. Amen. So, but, but how? What do we do? What do we do? And so we began to meet virtually with our partners, and that's one good thing that came out of this. I mean, meeting with those guys for prayer from all over the world every week was amazing, and we continued to do that regularly. But then beyond that, we began to do some training and some seeking about what, what does God want us to do. And we really began to focus on what are the essentials of the church, and what do we really need our partners to make sure you can't do a lot of things you used to do. We can't do a lot of things in our churches here that we used to do. What are the things that we need to do, even through the pandemic? And that took us to Acts chapter 2 is a pretty good pattern. So we'll put that up on the screen um, for us. And I think maybe Becky kind of mind-melded some of our slides together, Mike, because you're going to see a lot of familiar, familiar things um, in this. 
Um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a pretty good idea of what a church is. That was the church. That's the first church. And so whatever's going on in a pandemic or whatever else happens, um, persecution, a lot of places we work um, these days, there's a lot of persecution and different things that are pressing in on our partners and their churches. But we do this, we're doing church. So um, we began to really kind of work around that. So next slide, kind of we can pull out those characteristics, especially from Acts 2.42, of what, what are the essentials? Well, the apostles' teaching, the word of God, we need that. Prayer. Fellowship together. Breaking bread. And I think that refers to both the Lord's Supper and and sharing uh, a meal together. And so those are the essentials. And even in the pandemic and all the things going on, the church can do those things. And what do you notice about those things? Do we have to do those things in a nice, beautiful building auditorium like this? Where's the best place to do those things? What do you need to do those things? Yeah, you need a table. And there are things that happen around the table. And so we began to talk with our partners uh, about the table. And we developed what we called our Come to the Table um, campaign, um, which is in the next slide. And part of that focused with our partners on training and uh, training our partners how to do this, what to do, things like that. And then in tandem with this, meeting some of the needs around the world. Um, You know, as we began to talk with our partners, one of the the stories that would come back is just how devastating some of these lockdowns are around the world. You know, it's one thing if you live here and you probably got enough food in your house, if you get in your pantry and dig around and aren't too picky, you could probably go for a couple weeks. But when you live day to day, and what you get paid today, you go to the market and you get your food today and you take it home to your family, a lockdown's a big deal. And so hunger became a big, big thing that we began to work with. So, so we developed our Come uh, to the Table campaign, both in training our partners about discipleship and also meeting the urgent physical and spiritual needs around the world. So I just want to go back to, to Acts 2 a little bit and just pull out a couple other things about the table. Because if you look at what the disciples did in that passage, their table affected those around them. And so um, the next slide kind of shows some of those things, but we'll just go through them quickly. We see that there's awe. Their table produced awe in the people around them and signs and wonders. That's the presence of God. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. If whatever we're doing isn't producing awe and signs and wonder, we've got to wonder if the Holy Spirit's with us or not. You know, when the Holy Spirit breaks out, stuff's going to happen. And that happened in, in the early church. They were moved to share their possessions. So there was generosity, and they were helping each other. It's kind of interesting. We talk about the table. We talk, you know, pastors get nervous. They say, wait a minute. You're not going to come to our church more? You're just going to meet around our table? It's like, well, there was still a place for public worship. They were still going to the temple. 
And for them also, the temple wasn't just for worship. It was also where they met outsiders. So they were at church, they met around their table, but they also went out and met outsiders. And so they were doing the work that David and, and Mike have been talking to us about this morning. So they were still interacting with outsiders, and they were going to the marketplace, and they had businesses, because that's where they're getting their money, and they were meeting people and, and, and working with outsiders. So. Um, some other things about the table. Of course, they were thankful. Um, God was praised. Whatever they were doing, it has to end up in glorifying God. They had favor with the people. I think about our churches today. Would you say that our churches today, at least in our country, would the general description be that we have favor with all the people around? Maybe, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, is our church model, whatever we're doing, really producing favor? And then, of course, many were being saved. And, um, of course, within that, uh, discipled. So we have this uh, concept of the table. And this next slide kind of summarizes it up, you know. We can make converts on a screen, virtually, and a lot of the technologies, and, and we praise God for the technologies we have. We can make converts in an auditorium or a big public meeting or, or some such thing. But if we're going to make disciples, our conviction is we need to be around the table. We make disciples around the table. So I'm going to pick on David. Why don't you come up here a minute? And I'm going to give you a, a sort of a math problem. Oh, man. So here's your options. You get to pick from option one or option two. And I'm feeling really generous this morning. And so, David, option one is I'm going to give you $100,000. Pretty good. And I'm going to give you $100,000 every day for the next 30 days. So that sounds pretty good, right? That's good. I'm good for that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Good. Well, option two. You got you to decide. Option two. I'm going to give you $1. Option one sounds pretty good, right? Not too much. <laughs> Not yeah. Right so, but tomorrow I'm going to give you $2. And then the next day I'm going to give you $4. And like that. And we'll do that every day for 30 days. So, option one, I'm going to give you $100,000 every day for 30 days. Option two, you're going to get a dollar today, but then the next day you're going to get $2 and so on. Which one are you going to pick? Number two, because I've read this problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Thank you. Right, number now, one. Yeah. No, you can pick either one. Yeah. You, number two. Number two. So David says number two. So, do you guys agree? Who says number two? All right, good. We have anyone for option number one. Anyone for option number one? Yeah, all right. You can go ahead and sit down. Thank you. Well, go ahead and we'll put the answer up here. Here's the answer. It's kind of small for you to see. Option one is pretty good. At the end of that 30 days, you're going to have $3 million. Pretty, pretty good haul. Option two, you end up with over a billion dollars. That $1 a day multiplied out for 30 days doubled every day for 30 days, you have a billion dollars. So David chose wisely, and the capital campaign for Capital City Church is taken care of, so, so there we go. So, what does this have to do with disciple-making and evangelism? 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is God's plan addition or is it multiplication? Yeah. Absolutely, it's multiplication. We want to multiply disciples. That's what happened in Acts. Pentecost, there's 120. Before Pentecost, Jesus, um, they're all gathering up a room. There's 120 of them at Jesus' ascension. Pentecost happens, boom, 3,000 right away. That's multiplication. Every day, God was adding to, to their number. And so we want to try to focus on some methods and some things that will help with multiplication. Sadly, I think a lot of our churches are stuck in addition. Actually, sadly, there's probably a lot of our churches stuck in subtraction. But we want to get to multiplication, so how can we do that? So um, we're going to look at um, a video now that will kind of show us how uh, multiplication and disciple-making works. So if we could put the video up here. social network we call it today. And so on Pentecost, all these believers took Christ back to their homes and back to all those connections they have, and that's how the church growth went viral in the first century. question is, can we do that today? There's some good news and some not so good news. The church is growing, but the percentage of believers across the world is still staying about the same. And why is that and how can we solve it? The problem is that we have believers who are being disobedient. They say yes to Jesus, but they don't follow his commands. And his command is that they're disciples who make disciples. So as um, the early Christians did, they obeyed. And they taught everyone to obey. And so the question is, can we do this today? We call it disciple-making movements, and I'm going to be talking a lot about that, or DMM for short. And the beauty of DMM is it multiplies rapidly. We want to don't just make disciples, we want to start movements of disciples. An engine for it is a thing I'm going to teach you about today called Discovery Bible Studies. And we'll talk more about these details. But basically, you have a, a leader, and they... Uh, gather their friends and family, and they interact with God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and there's a simple process we'll go through um, as they study a passage. And as they do this, they begin to multiply. So they're discovering God's Word, and the key is that immediate obedience we'll talk about, and that's what, what happens in disciple-making movements. So. all over the world. So, in a way, it's just going back to what we saw in that first part of, of Acts. It's um, what uh, was done in the early disciples is what we can do today. So. So, when we think about disciple-making, whenever I teach on, on discipleship, I always come back to 2 Timothy 2.2. Um, we'll put that up next. It's the, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's disciple-making and multiplication. There's four generations in that passage. You know, there's Paul, who entrusted it to Timothy, and he was supposed to entrust it to faithful men, and they were supposed to entrust it to others. Four generations right there. That's what we talk about when we think about movements and disciple-making movements. So we have this concept that we've been working with called the table, and disciple-making movements is really what we're doing around that table, and there's just kind of one more piece kind of in our hearts and minds. It's almost like there's a little piece missing, like that piece of pie. And maybe Mike Holbrook got in there before Charlotte could get that pie taken care of, and there was a piece missing. And so, so there's something missing. But when we put that piece back, we have something that's whole. So we talk a lot about holistic ministry or integral ministry, meaning everything's there. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about that. And so the um, passage you've already looked at this morning, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. You know, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and I am with you always. And as I look at that passage, I'm struck by the alls. All authority. And we've heard it already said this morning. We're doing this. Jesus' authority is to go. He says go. He's got the authority. We have to obey. We go to all nations. And there's a, a lot we could say about that. And, and David's already shared his heart about that, that this morning, that we go to all the nations. It says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. All the commands. You know, being a disciple isn't just about, oh, I gave my heart to Jesus. It's, no, it's, it's our whole life and everything that Jesus said that we do in our lives. And so that's part of our discipleship making. And then we go with confidence because Jesus is with us always. We can't do any of this by ourselves. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, none of this happens. So, so Jesus' presence is huge. And then we go to the, the great commandment. Um, Mike alluded to the uh, Luke version of it. I'm going to use the Mark version of it, Mark 12. Um, 
says that uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And then the second commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And in this passage, we see alls also. There's a connection here. In this case, it's all of our heart or our emotions, all of our soul, that's our spiritual person, all of our mind, our intellect, and then all of our strength. So that's the physical. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's another all, because if we remember the story of Good Samaritan, who's our neighbor? Anyone that God puts in our path, so all. So we talk a lot in, in our, our ministry about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And the next slide kind of puts a little uh, visual form for Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus didn't come, you know, people think, sense. Yes, he did. But he came for a lot more than that. He cares about all these areas. He cares about our bodies, our physical strength. He fed the hungry. He, he healed the sick. He cares about what's going on with us emotionally and socially in relationships. He cares about our mind. We need to have the mind of Christ. And of course, he cares um, about our spirit as well. So Jesus came to minister to the whole person. And so when we think about that, we come up with another visual of what is a disciple. When we talk about making disciples, a disciple is someone who Jesus is their king, and they love God, they love others, and they make disciples. If you're not making disciples, you need to question if you're a disciple. And are you loving God? Are you loving others? It's all of that together. So when we talk about um, disciple making, that's, those are the kind of disciples that we're trying to make. So this is nothing new, of course. This is from the Bible. And it's even nothing new, as we talked about doing this in our missions ministry. Um, there's a missionary from the last century, early in the 1900s, Amy Carmichael, a famous missionary to India. And she said it this way, a pretty funny way to say it. She said, one cannot save and then pitchfork souls into heaven. Souls are more or less securely fastened to their bodies. And as you cannot get the souls out and deal with them separately, you have to take them both together. That's when we talk about disciple making, we're talking about ministering to, to the whole people. So next slide shows an example of this uh, from a country in South Asia. Village that didn't have a church before our partner showed up there, and there had never been a Christian walk the path of that village. And one of the things they needed was access to clean water. The surface water was very contaminated, not good. You know, they're basically drinking out of glorified drainage ditches. And so we helped them um, to be able to put a well in this village. And so we got the well done, and, and I showed up there one day, and we bring the community together, and we want to dedicate this well. And as part of that, I'm doing some health teaching about, you know, why it's important to you clean water, don't get your water out of that dirty ditch now, use the well, and, and all the, the reasons to do that. And this was a prompting of the Holy Spirit, because, you know, this was an area that was very, um, uh, you know, no, no Christians have been there, and, and a lot of potential for persecution and such. But Holy Spirit, just tell me, tell them about the woman at the well. And so I told them about the woman at the well. And I wasn't sure how it was going and how it went. And afterwards, this little lady comes up to me, and she's like grabbing my arm and taking me. Of course, I don't, don't speak the language. Um, 
And she drags me back this path and, and into her house, and she's like, tell these people about the woman at the well. And so we went from clean water, which is important, to the living water. And so that's the power of ministering to the whole person. Next slide has some pictures from some of our partners, what our partners have done with our Come to the Table campaign and feeding. Uh, in the top uh, left corner, Wilma there in Lima, Peru, works in the slum area um, outside of Lima, really poor, poor people and was beginning to do this feeding, and we were helping her, and she was getting food to be able to distribute to people that didn't have access in the pandemic. And it was, we'd been teaching about the table, and all of a sudden she had 60 people from uh, 10 different villages um, around that area coming to the table for discipleship training every week. Um, in uh, another country in South Asia there, we... Um, were, they were doing food distribution through the Come to the Table campaign, and they were sharing. And, you know, their pastor was like, I don't know what's happening with our churches because we can't meet. And some of the people started meeting in their homes, and they started sharing Jesus, and they started sharing the food that was there, and all of a sudden 30 baptisms doubled the size of their church in a very short time. So meeting needs and sharing Jesus um, being integral or whole. Uh, bottom slide, one of our partners in South Asia asked me to zoom in and teach their pastors some stuff about COVID, and how to recognize it, how to prevent it, how to take care of people that were sick. And so it was one of the best 1 a.m. wake-up calls I'd ever had. You know, I've been awake a lot working um, in the middle of the night over the years, and whether it's delivering a baby or taking care of someone in the ICU or whatever, but I got to spend from 1 to 4 a.m. one morning teaching these pastors about COVID and how to minister to people through COVID, how to encourage them to not be afraid, um, and what God teaches us um, about uh, lack of fear in the pandemic. And because of that, they were able to go out and reach their neighbors. You know, some of their Hindu neighbors would get sick, and it wasn't the other Hindus coming to help them. It was the Christians. And they were able to reach out and lead a lot of their neighbors to Christ as they went out and shared cleaning supplies and hygiene stuff and took care of them when they got sick. And um, it was just a great, great outreach. So that's, those are just some examples of why we believe in disciple-making but doing it in what we call a holistic or an integral way. So there's a whole process that we teach um, on the field, and there's a, a graphic here that we won't go into too much, but it kind of gives you an idea how this might work. We have some people in that church or community that get trained. And of course, the first step is always prayer. Prayer is, is the covering for all of this. And we're talking extraordinary prayer. You know, I heard it once said, you're not going to make very many disciples on a five or ten minute quiet time every day. You need to focus on prayer. And that's, that's the start. And, and intense prayer and yeah, I'm convicting myself even right now. You know, the more, you know, we, just, we need more. There's never enough prayer. We need more prayer. But as we go, and we have this training, we enter the community. We talk about identifying the person of peace, which is someone in the community that may not be uh, a Christian at all, but at least is open to talking about you, and you build that relationship. You have coffee with them. You have a meal around the table. You develop the relationship. Maybe that person of peace says, well, why don't you come and, into my house and share with my family? And you begin to develop these, what we call discovery groups, or discovery Bible studies, as the video talked about. 
And that's where you begin to share um, God's word in the community. Um, and then those begin to multiply, and pretty soon um, you're doing other things in the community, doing acts of love or what we call seed projects. And um, usually there's about a three- to four-day training we'll do to kind of help catalyze this. We'll get our partners all trained up to be able to do it. So the question is, do we need to do this here? Because, you know, we talked about, you know, David's path of we're starting in Jerusalem and going out, but, but for us, we're realizing these things that we're doing and training our partners to do around the world, we need to be doing here also. You know, one of the things that's been a challenge for our ministry over the years is our ministry was started by evangelists. And they would go out, and they would go to camp meetings, and they would go to church revivals. And churches used to do this thing called a mission conference that a lot of our churches don't even do anymore. And so, in these days, we don't have those opportunities. So how do we serve the local church? How do we get, get the message out to the local church? And we realize this is, this is it, because we need to train local churches in the U.S. in disciple-making movements. And so, um, we developed what we call Go Make Disciples, and it's a, there's different ways to do it. And I can talk to, you know, if any of your churches or pastors are interested in doing this, we can help you do it. Um, and we begin to train you how to do this. We've done a few churches already in the last year. Uh, Amy, I was hoping to have a video of her, um, but she's down with COVID right now. So she's a lady in a church in Henry County, Kentucky. And we've gone in and done this training in her church. And she's an IT person for a local hospital. She's not a pastor, and she went through this training, and she realized, well, I don't have to be a pastor, but I've got ladies that I work with that I could probably get together, and we can do this discovery Bible study thing that you taught us how to do. And so she started doing it, and within a few weeks, one of the ladies in her study was like, well, I can do this, and she started doing it with her neighbors at home. So now, you know, within a few weeks, we've already got three generations going. So it is so powerful. You know, I love good preaching. And I heard a lot of good preaching when I was sitting with David. And I was so excited to hear that Doug was going to be a part of this. I've heard Doug Carter's preaching over the years. And I've really been blessed by that. But I never sat in a sermon from David or a sermon from Doug or other great preachers I've heard. I never sat there and said, you know what? I can do that. I mean, I'm blessed by it and grow by it, but I can never do that. And if I could do that, it would still take me at least Bible school and maybe seminary to be able to get to a place where I could do that. That's not a recipe for rapid multiplication. But this is a recipe for rapid multiplication, especially in places around the world where there aren't trained, as our definition of trained leaders anyway, you know the fastest growing church in the world? What country would you say that's in? China, I hear. Any other answers? India? The answer is actually Iran. It's, tri it's a trick question. China, numerically, obviously that church has grown huge, and you know, there's hundreds of millions there. But percentage-wise, it's Iran. And that's because they're doing disciple-making movements. And they don't have a lot of trained pastors. So how do, how do we do this? So I want to just get practical for a couple minutes here at the end and give you some tips about how you could even do this, even without going through all of our training. You could do a discovery group with what I'm going to tell you in the next five minutes. 
A discovery group meeting basically starts, often it's around the table, you bring people in together, you may be in a home, you know, Amy did it in her home. Another lady in our office likes to do CrossFit, has a group of ladies she works out with at the gym. She started one of these at her CrossFit gym. So it can be anywhere, you have relationships. Those people in her CrossFit gym were never gonna go to church if she invited them, but they'd get together and do CrossFit and do a discovery group. So the first thing you do after you get people together is you look back. And that's looking back at the last week or the, since the last time you all got together. And talk about some commitments that you made last time, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. And then you look up. You're looking to God. And that's where you do a, a small Bible study. Or maybe if it's a, in some of our contexts that we work in, maybe you're sharing a story because people aren't, aren't literate. Um, but either way, in our context, you'd be doing a Bible study together. And then you're going to look forward. And this is where you begin to get the power of what we're talking about. Because this is where you say, okay, if this was God's word that we read, what must I do in response? So we have this thing that we think disciple-making and discipleship's about knowledge. It's about a class that you go to or a program you go to. And those are important, and David, I mean, there's tons of great resources out there that he's already shared. But the power is the obedience. Discipleship is about what do you do with what you've learned. And that's what's so powerful about this, is you're challenging people every time. You don't just study the Word, but what are you going to do? What did God speak to you from this Word? What did the Holy Spirit say? So um, that's the, the looking forward part. And not only what am I going to do, but who am I going to tell this week? Who am I going to share this truth with? Is there someone at work? Is there someone in my family that needs to hear this today? And then the integral piece that we've kind of added into this is look out. What are the needs that I know of? Are there some needs in our group that we can help with? Are there needs in our neighborhood or in our community? And how can we help with that? So um, the looking up section, uh, just to, to kind of dig into that just a little bit deeper real quick. Basically, read the passage. We're not talking a, a huge, long passage. It's kind of one section, maybe 15, 20 verses max. Um, probably isn't even a whole chapter, but a whole, whole, whole you know, part of the uh, Bible chapter. You read it, and then I have, have someone read it again. And then I'll have someone just say it in their own words, restate it. Why do you think I do that? Yeah, see if they understand it. Repetition's a great teacher, and they hear it a couple times, and then they maybe hear it in someone's own words. And sometimes I'll say to the rest of the group, now, did they get everything in there? Did they put anything in there that wasn't there? Making sure they get what did that word actually say. We are not cross-referencing other Bible passages. We are not bringing in, oh, this commentator said this, or this commentator said that. We're not doing any of that. Now, there's a place for all that, but then you're getting beyond where anyone can do it. I mean, if you have untrained people that aren't really familiar with the Bible, but they can do this, then God can speak through his word and the Holy Spirit. If they feel like, oh, I don't have that knowledge, I can't do that, well, then, then they're not as willing to do it. So, um, And then the power comes again. If this is God's word, what do I need to do as a result of the passage? We call it I will statements. We usually have people say an I will statement. So what's your I will statement? And so I, I read this passage, I will, you know. We, st we did a uh, discovery group on the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, I'm going to go to my neighbor now because of this. So 
that kind of thing. So, so that's a discovery group. You guys could even do that. You could start one at your place of work this week. It's, it's that, that doable. Um, and, it's, it's, um, and again, the power is in, in the obedience. So just to summarize, um, when we talk about integral disciple making, um, we're talking about believers praying constantly and showing great faith. We're talking about that they have a powerful witness um, because of the way they treat other people. They're looking out and, and treating people and meeting needs, looking at the whole person around them not just whether they can get their soul into heaven. Um, they are um, encouraging the other followers to become reproducing disciples, and the groups are multiplying and, and spreading through a whole region. So that's integral disciple-making. That's what God has been laying on our hearts. And just as we close and, and go to the break, I'm just going to challenge you with what we challenge our, our, our discovery groups all the time. What does God want you to do? What does God want you to do from maybe something that David or Mike shared this morning? Maybe you're starting to kick around, hey, there's some people I could gather around to do a discovery group. I don't know what it is, but what does God want you to do this morning? That's the, that's the question. Do you need to open up the table in your home? Just get some people around your table. Do you need to start a discovery group? Is there just someone you need to go talk to? So... Let me uh, pray for us, and then David give instruction. Lord, um, we just thank you um, for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for what you're doing around the world, how groups are responding to you, um, and that you're on the move across the earth through difficulties, through pandemics, through persecutions, and yet your word is not, not void. It's, it's powerful, and, and people are coming to you. And I just pray you empower us. You would use us in the same way. We just... Uh, uh, put all this at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank, you. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate so much uh, your heart. And that's why it's important that we have not just pastors, ministers. Uh, we have lay people who understand all the work that God is doing. All right, we're going to take a break until uh, 11 o'clock. And uh, if you're not familiar with this building, our restrooms are down there. Just go out and go uh, to your right. You'll find both the men and women's restrooms. There is food, coffee. I think they have biscuits and gravy and all kinds of things over there. We don't want to take it home. So uh, please eat all of this uh, so that we okay. And we will, and I'd also like you to do one thing. We're trying to work on building relationships. Uh, we're talking about Mike's great, and we've said here in uh, Capital City that we want to make 2022 a great year. And so the first week I preached on growing. Uh, the second week, last week, I preached about relationships. Find somebody you don't know and just ask their name and ask where they're from. And uh, just, it's okay. They won't bite you, I promise. I know all these people in this room. They're okay. They'll, they'll love you. 
And those of you that are online, would you please just say uh, good morning to the one who is uh, overseeing this and even state what church you're from. Uh, Cindy White is taking care of this. But if you're watching online, would you just say good morning. Uh, this is uh, Doug Carter from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, who said that our live stream was coming through loud and clear. Uh, so if you're doing that online, we value uh, our online uh, audience today. I saw that we do have one uh, from Pakistan, and uh, Nathan Watson is watching from Pakistan. And uh, Nathan, God bless you. We need to pray for him. He just lost his wife, uh, but he is a wonderful brother, wonderful friend. And uh, there are others from other places. Uh, Bishop Joe Wilson uh, is washing, wa uh, watching up in uh, northern Ohio, in the Cleveland area. And so a lot of people are watching from different places. And so uh, let's just believe God. So for the next 10 minutes, uh, take a little break, stretch your legs, and we'll come back, and Jim Daft will speak, and then uh, Dr. Doug Carter will conclude our time. Thank you.
almost 11 o'clock, so could we gather back in? If you have food, just bring it to the table. That's fine. Just fine. Just all of us, let's gather back in. Uh, we'll be opening the stream in just a moment. So all of you that are here, let's gather back in, and we'll be listening to my good friend Jim Dad. Come as soon as you can. As we gather back in, let's go ahead, begin the live stream again. And I want to tell those who are here and those that are in live stream that we do have some wonderful, wonderful resources. Doug Carter has sent us two books. One is called The Big Picture People. And we can get this. It's on our table out in the lobby. Or if some of you online would like to order this book, we can get this to you if you would just let us know at uh, Cap City and our Cap City Facebook page. And then Doug Carter has also written a book. And I think this is rather autobiographical. I've not fully read this one yet. Sorry, Doug. Uh, and the title is Not a Chance. Dr. Robert Klein, our former general superintendent, has written a marvelous book, and it's about evangelism and about helping people come to Christ. And the name of this book is I Stand by the Door. I Stand by the Door. And if you have a heart for evangelism, you will love this book. Stan Toller and I put together uh, a work and a project, and it's called Living in the Power of One. And this has gone around all over the world, but this is the book that we have put together. We have some on our table, and if you would like to have one of these, we'd love for you uh, to have it. You can either uh, buy it here in the lobby, or if you want to later on, uh, just write to Cap City uh, through the Facebook page, and we will be sure, give us some kind of contact information, and we can uh, direct you to how you can get this. There is also material on discipleship lessons for growing believers. If you're going to have a uh, basic Christianity or basic believers or uh, growing believers class, this is excellent, especially for new people who are just coming to Christ. And then we have the Great Commission Workbook, and this outlines all of the things we've talked about, about our Jerusalem ministry. There will be another edition that will be coming out that will detail how then we begin to reach out as a Great Commission church to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, it is really great to have my friend Jim Daft. Jim Daft, I've known Jim for 40 years or better, and Jim was first converted at our Lancaster church under Dr. John Maxwell, and John began to train and inspire him to become uh, a soul winner. And truly, through the years, Jim has never wavered from that call. And uh, Jim is now serving at the uh, Circleville First Church as an associate pastor there. But 
uh, we're kind of talking to him about maybe giving us some help here at Cap City. So it is my joy to welcome uh, Mr. Jim Daft. Jim, will you come? And let's give him a hand as he comes to share with us today. Thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, I was privileged to uh, be under a, a ministry at Lancaster Church many years ago, which I still, we still all involved in it, which was set up, uh, if your church, if you're going to be successful in reaching your community, you have to have these ministries in place. I've seen it work many times, and it still works today. You need to have a care ministry. Luke 14.23 talks to you about that, a care ministry. You, whatever you want to call it, you need to have something that you can, when people come to your church, you're able to follow up on them. People have not coming, you have been not coming to your church, you're able to follow up on them. You need to have a care ministry in your church. And then the ministry you need to have is what I call a witnessing ministry, which leads to a soul winning ministry. You've got to be a witness before you can ever be a soul winner. If you're not going to be a witness, you're not going to be a soul winner. God tells us to, Jesus tells us to go and be witnesses. And the witnesses, that's why we have to do that first before you ever have the heart to want to share with somebody else. It starts with witnessing. The hardest thing you have to do, and the, the question we always ask, which David's talking about, if you die today, you have insurance going to heaven. I ask it all the time. Now, the very first few times I asked that question, I was kind of scared to death. Because I thought, if I ask that question, i got to be got to know how to take them further. And I wasn't confident enough myself if I could do it. So that, a lot of times in the beginning, I would back off of that because we talk about confrontation. I found out a long time ago. We talked about, we talked about here about uh, the definition of engine is to help people uh, understand that God loves them and help people respond to the message of Christ. If you're going to help people to respond to the message, you have got to be confrontational. The gospel message itself is confrontational. But you have to do it in a way that it doesn't come across like you're confrontational. You need to be tactful. You need to understand that you don't just go and just blurt out the first time you meet someone. That doesn't work. I worked at GE. I retired from GE after 30, 32 years. And I witnessed a lot of people when I worked with them. And I'd ask him that question. Early on, I was really excited because I was taught by John Maxwell that you ask this question whenever you get a chance. So I would go around and ask this question at work, and they had a few of them say, they run from me because they knew what the word got out. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. So then I thought, i got to be a little bit tactful here. i got to figure out a way that when they see me, they don't have to go somewhere else, and I won't be able to talk to them. So I learned to be tactful, and, and like David said earlier, and Mike said also, developing relationships. Larry even said that. Develop relationships. And then all of a sudden, I had him coming to me asking me questions on something else about this and about that. But still, when I got to the point for them to make a decision, it has to be confrontational. You can't get around it. I learned you don't go out and... Do it that quickly. Then your church has to have a discipleship. We all, everything we talk about today ties together. You have to have a discipleship ministry. 
Now, my church now, uh, we have all these ministries. We, we call them different names. That's okay. I don't care what name you give it. But I teach a, a basic Christianity class because if you're going to witness and, and win people, you've got to teach them and disciple them. And you start them out with the basics. If they don't get the basics, they're not going to get the rest of it. And that book that David shared has all that stuff in there. It also has, it has a little bit deeper walk than that, a little more commitment. But you do the basic stuff first. And when they come to church, I got a lady this week, I led the Lord th- Monday. She's coming to church, and we celebrate that other church. She's going to be in my class, and she's going to walk the aisle and make her public confession. And our church develops a way that when we do that, they just start clapping. We celebrate when someone comes to the Lord. You have to have a discipleship. If, you're not, if you don't have something for that young Christian to teach him, you're going to lose them. They won't, they won't stick. You've got to have something for them. And then we have a prayer ministry. Everything is wrapped up in the prayer ministry. They pray for the care ministry. They pray for the witnessing and so on in ministry. They pray for the discipleship ministry. The prayer ministry is so important. The verse for witnessing, I got down Luke 7, 15, 7. And discipleship ministry is Larry said, 2 Timothy 2, 2. And then the, the prayer ministry is James 5, 15. Those ministries are important in your church. Now, when someone new walks into your church, we have at Circleville First Church, we have about, which we call, our, which we call ours, EDGE team. It stands for Evangelize, Disciple, Grow, and Equip. Me and Michael, Michael started that years ago. Remember that, Mike? That was Mike's dream. We still got that going on. And when they come through those doors, we, before the week's over, we have touched them at least five times. The first initial touch, we give them a gift. They get to, we get the card, we sell out the card. My edge team captains, it's a part of that. I have four captains. I got my directors. I have a directors. And we take it to, then once we give them the gift, the card goes to our secretary. She sends a letter. I make a phone call, and I make a visit. Five touches before they come back. They look, well, we must, I must be pretty important. Yeah. Because you have a soul, and you need, to know, you need to know how to get to heaven. You matter to us, and we'll do everything in our power to do that. I'm not, that's about all I have. I think that's about what you wanted or not. If not, this is yours now, buddy. <laughs> Just stay here a minute. Just stay, just stay here a minute. Just stay here a minute. Number two. Yeah, I tell you, yeah, I tell you what. This guy really is... Uh, one of my dearest friends, I, I really mean that, and I appreciate him uh, so, so much. And um, when you were at Lancaster with John Maxwell, and uh, I think there was a period of time, what was about 100 weeks in a row, you had people walking the aisle. Oh, yes. I mean, and you, you was involved in one of them. Was, and that's why I want to tell them that uh, John was pastoring at Lancaster Faith Memorial, and he had told me, I was the district superintendent then, and he had told me that they had had people come to Christ for like 99 weeks in a row. John, and, winning the home and right. Winning the home. right. So 
he said, I'm going to be away. I'd like for you to preach the church. How would you like to do that? Uh, to go preach to Lancaster. 99 weeks in a row, somebody has got saved. John's away, my good friend. I'm preaching, and then I'm going to have to tell him, did anyone come to Christ or not? I preached, and I didn't have much great inspiration that anything great was going to happen. Now, wait a minute. Don't say that. <laughs> it wasn't the best I ever heard, you know. <laughs> I, I just want you to know. Uh, it's I'm just, waiting to get the altar call. He was, just, yeah, he was waiting to get the altar call. Just get it done. You could preach Mary, had a little yeah, laugh, and, and, and you're ready to go. And so I'm sitting there, sweat running down my, my temples and down my back, and I said, okay, we're going to give this invitation. Let's sing just as I am or whatever they say. And, and I mean, I stand, stood there a minute, and I watched Jim reach over to two people, took them out in the aisle, walked them down the aisle, got on the other side of the altar, I tell you what, I was, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for Jim. And uh, what I really, I don't know how many weeks that went on. Do you know? You don't know the rest of the story. John called and told me, make sure I get someone up before you. <laughs> and you know what? That's probably true. <laughs> you know what? I, I, really, that would not surprise me at all. Wouldn't be surprised me at all. And uh, so, but Jim, and I want one other thing, and then we'll be right back on time. Uh, perfectly. And that is that, you yeah, you did. Thank you. Uh, some of the rest of us get us off time, but you get us on time. And uh, so, um, John asked you about your little book. Do you have your little book with you? No, I got two books. Okay. You got with you? No. Okay. All right. John asked him when he first started talking to him about leading people to Christ to write down the names and the date in a little book. How many books do you have now? I got one full. I got a third of the other one made. Okay. You understand that personal evangelism takes a lot longer than mass evangelism. It takes a lot longer to get 500 people personally than does John. I mean, Billy Graham could do it in one setting. I can't, but, anyway, but that's my love. Anyway. And I watched when John came to a conference and Jim was there. And Jim went up, and he had his little book, and you, you, said, you showed it to John. I showed it to John. What did he say? Well, I showed it to him, and he says, you wrote the names down. I said, well, you told me to write them down. He says, I want you, when you die, I want you to, I want you to will this to me. I said, wait a minute. This is my story. You get your own story. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you that I know that not everyone in the body of Christ is built just like Maybe he and I or, or him. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. We're all thankful for that, yes. But there are some of us. And if God begins to challenge us, what would happen if we started seeing people every week coming to Christ and then every week being put in a discipleship program and uh, reaching out? Um, that would be a great commission church. Thank you, Jim. I love you, buddy. Thank you so much. Well, the last individual today, we had looked so forward to having him come, 
And he is one of the dearest friends that uh, not only I, but many of us have that are here. Uh, his name is Dr. Doug Carter. Uh, he took, has taken me in different places all over the world. I could tell you many, many stories, and he could tell many stories about me. And uh, we love each other as brothers and have uh, really for uh, nearly all of our lives. And so Doug is going to come in on a video, we thought, in, in light of the rise of COVID, in light of the rise of other thing else going on, and in light of the fact that we were doing some of this conference, and hopefully that it will go out further online than it has here, that it would be okay to hear Doug. And so he is going to uh, speak to us today, and then tomorrow, uh, Dr. Mike Holbrook will be speaking uh, about the challenge, and uh, Dr. Larry Frick will be talking about his journey to a call to ministry, and then Dr. Doug Carter is going to also speak to us uh, about what God is doing all over the world. And again, if you're not here, you can watch it on Cap City Live, or you can watch it on uh, Cap City Facebook uh, Live. And it is archived, so that if you're in church tomorrow and you want to watch it later, that would be okay. It is also, I think we have a church or two uh, who have said they want to stream in our service to their local church tomorrow so that their whole church uh, will be a part of this conference. And so I think this is a, a very good thing. So with that, uh, are we ready back there for Doug? All right, we are ready, and uh, with that, I give you my good friend and uh, truly one of the great Christian statesmen of the world, Dr. Doug Carter. We got audio. Oh, back to Eric. Okay. Uh, hold on. Doug, as soon as you're ready, you can, you're up. Okay. Okay. Am I coming, coming through? through? Uh, good morning. Good morning to everyone gathered there at uh, Cap City Church. I'm going, I'm going to, uh, to uh, trust that, that uh, our, technology our technology is working and that I'm coming through to the room. And hopefully, and hopefully uh, also, also being heard, being by, heard those by those who have joined, who have joined us through live stream and, and through Facebook. I'll trust, I'll trust my dear my friend, dear friend Eric to, uh, to uh, send, send me a text if that's not the case, and if I, and if need, I need to cease talking. talking. But until, <laughs> until I hear from him, I'm going I'm to move full speed, speed ahead and hope that, that uh, everything, everything is going well. Going well. Uh, David uh, very kindly mentioned, mentioned a couple of books that I've written. Actually, I've done just three books. I'm not like Stan Toller and John Maxwell who have... Published, uh, published uh, every, uh, every thought, thought that ever went through their minds, their minds. Uh, but, uh, but I have been, been uh, privileged to uh, write, three write three books, and as, and as David mentioned, two of them two are there. Are there. Big, picture Big Picture People is simply about uh, seeing people around us and seeing the world uh, through the eyes of Jesus. Uh, Big Picture People, seeing through the eyes of faith, seeing with our hearts. And then the the other book... I'm getting, I'm getting a message, a message here. here. Let me be sure, sure that I uh, uh, find out that we're that I'm coming, that I'm coming through, through okay. okay. Let's see. 
I got, got, got a message from, from one, one, someone, someone saying we're coming through, so praise the Lord. I keep going. Uh, the other book, uh, Not a Chance, I actually started writing it just so that I could provide for my grandchildren something of a story of what God has done in Winnie's life and in my life, uh, his transforming grace in our lives, his call upon our lives, and the joy we've had of serving him. Um, as I uh, pinned the words to the book at different times, and uh, it wasn't written all at, uh, as I would say, one setting or in one short period, I came to realize the book was really a story of all the people that have invested in our lives. And then, in turn, the privilege we've had of trying to invest faithfully in the lives of others, both uh, in our own neighborhoods, uh, in our mission work, uh, through my years at the Bible College, at the university, and then in my activities around the world, as God has given me opportunity to minister in China, to minister in the Middle East, in fact, to minister in 131 nations. And so the book really has become a story of those who invested in me and none of the incredible people I have met and the opportunity to try to add encouragement and uh, training, empowerment, resources into their life to help them reach their maximum potential as they serve the Lord. And many, many of them serving in dark and difficult and dangerous places where daily they lay their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's really what the book is about. It's entitled, Not a Chance. Let me also say that I am a huge fan of the book that David Dean has produced about the power of one. It's such a great book. And if you can only afford today to buy one book, don't buy mine, buy the power of one, because it will truly be life-changing for you. And as you are changed through the power of one, you will be able to have even greater impact in the lives of others. Well, I love the topic of the Great Commission. I think the Great Commission is the cause that is nearest to the heart of God. Uh, as Jesus was uh, preparing to leave this earth, he gave his uh, last command, and that last command, the Great Commission, should always be our highest priority, should always be our first concern. I want us to talk a little bit today uh, from Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading at verse 36. But when he, that is Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I also want to read Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children, chickens under her wings, and you would not. And then Revelations 3.18, and anoint thine eyes with eyesad that thou mayest see. Verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Some, there's a common thread in all of that, those verses, and it's in that concept of seeing. Jesus saw. He saw the multitude. 
he saw Jerusalem in its lostness. And then in Revelations, he talks to us about the importance of our being able to see. Helen Keller was an amazing lady, born uh, in the 1900s, as I recall, lost her sight and lost her hearing at age 19 months from scarlet fever. But she went on to accomplish incredible things. And she wrote many, many books, and she made several statements that I think are some of the classics of all time. But one of my favorites is this. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Helen Keller was blind, but she saw with her heart. Vision is seeing with your heart. With your eyes, you have eyesight. But with your heart, you have vision. It's possible to have our eyesight, but not see. I heard a story once. The speaker said two gentlemen were talking. One said to the other one, which is worse, ignorance or apathy? And the other guy replied, I don't know, and I don't care. Not knowing ignorance, that's closing our eyes, refusing to see. Apathy is basically, and it's I don't care, it's closing our heart and refusing to be touched. It is my prayer today, and it's doubly so as I've listened to David and Mike and Larry and Jim, that our hearts would be broken with the things that break God's heart. And like Jesus, that we would see with our hearts. Jesus saw, he saw from the heart. He was moved with compassion and he took action. One of his actions was to instruct his followers to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. But then he put feet to his prayers. He put hands to his prayers. He moved into action. He took action. He began in Matthew 10, the very next chapter, he began to focus on training laborers for the harvest field. And we've heard a great deal this morning about that whole concept of both evangelism and discipleship and outreach in many, many different forms. Jesus in Matthew 10 really conducts an evangelism discipleship seminar. Um, as I said earlier, David does such a great job of covering this in the book, Living in the Power of One. Interesting thing is you read through Matthew 10, you'll discover right away that the key to effective evangelism and discipleship is that the students, that is those who are listening to Jesus, that they become like Jesus. Students are to be like their teacher, and Jesus is our teacher. And it is as we absorb truth from him and go deep into his word and give ourselves totally, completely, absolutely to his lordship and allow him to live in us and 
love through us and serve through us and minister through us and touch lives through us, it is then that we become effective in seeing needs, getting involved, investing our lives in others, becoming others-focused. Billy Graham talked a great deal during his years of a ministry about being others-focused. In fact, I heard him say one time, and I think I can quote it almost uh, word for word from what he said, the smallest package, and I'm quoting now Billy Graham, the smallest package I ever saw was a person totally wrapped up in himself. The person that thinks only of himself, his needs, his problems, his concerns, his dreams, wrapped up in himself. What a tiny package he argued. In fact, he said, if you're focused only on yourself, the only person you can ever touch is one. You can just have it make some difference, hopefully, in the life of one, but it won't be much because the person is so self-absorbed. And then Dr. Graham commented, but when we are others-focused, we have the potential of touching a world of over 7 billion people. There's no limit to the influence of our lives, the impact of our lives, the difference that we can make through the various means that God's made available to us of helping to touch Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. But for this to happen, our hearts must be totally under the control of Jesus, filled with his love, our lives must be empowered by his spirit in such measure that Jesus is so real in our lives, so at work in our lives, has such control in our lives that he's living in us and living through us. You see, sometimes we talk about what he's done for us and what he's done in us, and that is so wonderful, and it must happen. Yes, of course, the cross, what he's done for us, the new birth, what he's done in us, our sanctification experience, what he's done in us, but ultimately, my friends, we need to think about what he wants to do through us in the lives of others. And that's when our lives can become reruns of his life. Think about that. Our lives, so full of Jesus, so empowered by his spirit, so under his control, that as he lives and loves through us, the beauty of Jesus is seen in our lives and our lives become reruns of his life. And people through us can experience his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, reruns of his life. If we are Christ-like, we will be Great Commission Christians. Our passion will be the salvation of a lost world. Barna, known for his surveys, and particularly surveys of Christians, in 2018 did a survey of churchgoers, regular churchgoers, primarily in evangelical churches across North America. And he asked this question, have you heard of the Great Commission? And 52% of churchgoers in evangelical churches in North America replied, no not aware of the Great Commission, when it is the cause that is nearest the heart of God, the last command our Savior gave. 52% not aware of it. 25% said, yes, 
but I don't really recall what it means. If we add 52 and 25 together, that's up to 77%. Not aware, really, of the Great Commission, people within the church. 17% said, yes, I've heard of the Great Commission, and I think I'm quite sure I know what it means. And 6% said, I've heard of it, but I'm not sure at all what it means. Think of that in evangelical churches. But listen, we're gathered here today, and at least for this crowd, for those of you in the room, for those listening in, I think I can say with all integrity, we know the Great Commission. We understand that it was spoken by our Lord Jesus. We know that it was not a suggestion. It wasn't uh, just a, a good idea, but it was a command from the commander-in-chief. It is the mandate under which we live our lives. It was the mandate given to every believer just before Jesus returned to heaven. His last concern should be our first concern. We live in a world of incredible need. More lost people in the world today than when Jesus uttered the Great Commission because of the immense population on our planet of over 7 billion. The need is huge. Most experts say that about 33% of people on the planet claim to be Christian in, a, in the broad context of the word Christian, about 33%. About 37% have access to the gospel. That is, the gospel is present somewhere within their nation, within the region where they live. About 37% could have access to the gospel, but have not believed. Either they've not heard adequately, they've had no one reach out to them, as Jim talked about, as Larry talked about, and Mike and Dave talked to engage them on a personal level to make sure they not only know their love, but for them to understand the love of God and the great salvation that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, 37% have not believed. That takes us up to uh, about 70% of the people on the planet. And then there are 30% have little or no access to the gospel. For the most part, we think of them as unreached people groups. They, they live in areas uh, where governments are hostile to the gospel, where the governments, uh, where the uh, culture may be dominated by, by Islam or by other uh, uh, false religions that uh, so dominate the, the, uh, the culture that uh, it makes it extremely difficult for them to have any access to the good news of Christ. So the need is great. In a world where two-thirds of the people do not have a saving relationship with Christ. This means, my friends, that most people on our planet are lost. As Acts 8 has made it clear, they live in Jerusalem, they live in Judea, they live in Samaria. They live in the uttermost parts of the earth. The New Living Testament says this about Acts 1.8, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling, and I like this the way the New Living Testament says it, telling people about me everywhere. Telling people about me everywhere. And I'll tell you, my friends, if we've had an encounter with Christ, we should be in the telling business. Of course, before we can be effective in presenting the gospel with our lips, 
We need to be consistent in presenting the gospel with our lives and with our love. Our lives, our love, then the message of our lips will be effective and powerful as we touch others with the good news, with the story of his power to save. And so after the Jesus ascended, having given the command uh, to receive the Holy Spirit, and then to go tell everyone about Jesus, uh, the disciples understood their marching orders. And Jesus leaves. They have his mandate. They have his promise, the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. They know their purpose. It's to take the fame and the glory and the good news, the life-changing, life-transforming power of Jesus Christ to, to their generation. They knew his priority for them. They knew that he, they would have his provision. They knew they must have his passion, hearts aflame with holy love. And they knew that they must have his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, because they could not do the task alone. Jesus, the commander-in-chief, did not become an absentee general. No, no. When he returned to the Father, he sent the Spirit of Christ, the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to impel them, not just to be with them, but to walk beside them and to empower them and work through them uh, to change broken lives. Where do we go to serve? As someone has mentioned earlier today, and I think it was David, Jerusalem, our local neighborhood, our own communities, or perhaps it's reaching out just a bit farther to neighboring communities uh, in terms of, of uh, Judea. It could be to the poor. It could be to children. It could well be in the marketplace, in the workplace where we do it, go every day. If somehow we could just get the church outside of the church and into the neighborhood and into the workplace, into the marketplace, if we would become the church alive at work every day in those places where we go already and begin to be intentional and focused about touching the lives of those people around us. There, uh, Larry has done a good job talking about material that can be used in the, in the workplace, uh, bringing people together at lunchtime or at other times uh, just to talk around the table. Uh, there's great material also at Equip, John Maxwell's organization. Uh, you go to iequip.org and just search for salt and light. And there's incredible material to be used around the round table that anyone can use that can be used for building relationships, adding value, earning trust, sharing your faith. There's also materials for discipleship. Larry has said their materials can be made available to you. And so there's this opportunity to go where we're going anyway, every day, into the workplace or into the family or into other, other things that are local where we can share our faith. We need in our communities to have food pantries and uh, we can have a cl make clothing available. Uh, kids clubs can be a powerful way of reaching into communities and touching kids. I think about my friend Larry Plum, and some of you will remember Larry. He operated an insurance agency in Circleville and in time became the president of Cincinnati Life Insurance Company. 
and eventually reached retirement and decided rather than staying in the comfort and convenience and safety of the suburbs, he and his wife would move into the inner city of Cincinnati, buy a house there that needed renovation in one of the needy areas and become salt and light, become witnesses, become, uh, become Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, be, to show his love, especially to children. And they've established a ministry there. Uh, you can look it up online. It's salt, S-A-L-T, dash, ministries, salt-ministries.net as just an example of what just one couple could do by making a decision not to live in an area of comfort, convenience, and safety, but to move in an area of risk because their hearts had been broken over the needs of children in those communities and just become the love of God to them. And it's truly amazing what has been accomplished and the difference that has been made as they have served in uh, that part uh, of Cincinnati. Value-add lunches, I've already mentioned with coworkers. Uh, we dare not limit church to Sunday services. And then, of course, there's the opportunity in the world we live in today to touch the immigrant communities. These are people who come to our shores by choice. And then, of course, there are those around the world who have been forced to relocate by war or famine or persecution. We often refer to them as refugees. And so there are the immigrants who have relocated by choice, and there are those who have been forced to relocate because of tragic conditions we call refugees. But when we put all those people together, there are some 84 million displaced people, people forced to flee their homes, about 40% of them are children. And we could have opportunity in our churches to have ministries that fit into some of those streams, maybe, maybe certain language streams, so that in our church, if we are nearby, if nearby us there are those who speak Spanish or those who speak Farsi or those who speak Arabic, that we could offer services in those languages by bringing someone from those language groups into our church team and providing facilities and opportunities for them to have church and to do ministry. Certainly outreach could be established to them. Multi-language services, multi-ethnic services, all of these opportunities are before us. As, as refugees pour from Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Yemen, Iraq, Myanmar, and many, many other nations of the world, it's been my joy to work a great deal with the refugee community through a ministry called Step Forward. You can look up Step Forward at Step and the numeral four and then W-A-R-D, Step and numeral four, W-A-R-D.org. And that is a ministry focused primarily on the Middle East and on North Africa. Amazing things that God has done. As we have had the joy of training and equipping and empowering leaders in that part of the world, and as they in turn have reached out to refugees that have poured into certain countries in the Middle East by the millions. I'm thinking of a church in Beirut, Lebanon. Brother David is aware of this church. He's taught the power of one there. It was a church of about 80 adults, had the children and youth ministry that took its total up to maybe 150, 200 people. Uh, many of the people in that church had gone through training that uh, 
I've been privileged to be involved in along with the co-founder of Step Forward, Michelle Khalil, Dr. Michelle Khalil, and others who have volunteered to go with us to teach like Pastor David. And as we have invested in training leaders, they were ready to respond to the refugee crisis and they seized the opportunity. And this church that had 80 adults and maybe 150, 200 people still in a small facility, but today they're touching and serving as the church, the regular place of worship and service and ministry for approximately 5,000 refugees. Now they've done that by mobilizing the church community. Many, many people in the church have volunteered, have gotten involved in the humanitarian aid, in the sharing of their faith, in the bringing of the transporting the people to church. And so now every day of the week, they have multiple church services. The last time I was there, I believe I was told they had 14 preaching services in multiple languages. Uh, they had discipleship uh, programs going. Uh, with, with small groups, with roundtables. They had youth ministry going, children's ministry going, women's ministry, men's ministry. The church was open day and night, every day of the week. And this small church had become a church, not of 80 or 150, but of 5,000 and probably far more now as they are touching just hundreds and hundreds of refugee homes, refugees from Iraq and from Syria. And that's been just typical of what's happening uh, in, in that part of the world, in, in, the, uh, in the Middle East. I, I think, uh, and, 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 and the same uh, in many places in, uh, in North Africa. And even when the uh, pandemic came and uh, lockdowns came and there was shortage of food and there was shortage of medicine and there was sickness and death on every hand and, and unemployment in many cases rose up to as much as 50% of the population of the working people. And these nations were suffering. We still were able by Zoom, by technology to come into them, to offer encouragement, to offer uh, resources that they desperately need to continue on in, in the most difficult of circumstances. Many of them were already facing the harshness and the brutality of, of Islam but now they face the harshness and the brutality of COVID-19 and then all of its after effects in terms of economic woes, financial problems, health problems, shortage of medicine, shortage of food, shortage of hospital supplies, on and on it went. And yet to be able to continue to walk beside them, to love them, to invest in them, to encourage them, and to watch the Christians in those areas not run from COVID, but run toward COVID and go to the sick, go to the afflicted, go to the suffering and minister to them in their hour of need and continue to see multitudes one to Christ and then discipled in the faith. The pastor told me, he said to Brother Doug, there is just no way of knowing how many people would be a part of our church if it had not been that the government, some government agencies started moving, relocating refugees from our country here in Lebanon to, to countries in Western Europe and other parts of the world. And he said, it bothered me a little bit at first. We, we, we led these people to Jesus. We discipled them in the faith. We equipped them in leadership. We saw God working in their lives. We saw them winning others. The, the church was, not, was experiencing multiplication in a beautiful way. And he, then he said, then the UN and other agencies start moving them away to other countries. And he said, it, 
it rather bothered me at first. And he said, one day I was whining about it a little bit. And the Holy Spirit said to him, Pastor, don't you understand? We're helping you take these individuals to other nations of the world as missionaries. And your local church is now having a missions outreach to scores of nations through the refugees that you have trained and equipped and prepared to be on the front lines of ministry in other dark, difficult, and dangerous places. And he said, of course, then I began to realize God is giving one little church in one town, one city, in a small country, Lebanon, is giving it influence worldwide. Uh, This, of course, is a story of what's happening in many, many places in our world. China. I had the privilege over about a 20-year period to go regularly to China. Of course, one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world taking place in China. And millions, of course, came to Christ. But when I would go over, uh, I would usually gather with about 50 pastors. It was uh, extremely high risk for more than 50 of them to be together in one place. Uh, In fact, oftentimes I would be meeting with the leaders of the nine largest house church networks in all of China. Those nine leaders and their lieutenants, shall we say, that were around them that came to the conference, 45 or 50, may have represented 70 million believers in China. And the government could have come in in any one of our events and wiped out the whole leadership of the church. And there were risks that were being taken. COVID came along and we thought it would all have to be completely shut down. And then we discovered Zoom would work. And during the time of COVID, I've preached to congregations in China with hundreds of people online. I've done leadership training in China with hundreds of people online. And there was no need for airfare and travel and the wear and tear of 30-hour flights and the cost and the expense. And just to be able to continue to offer encouragement and empowerment and resources and training and equipping that is helping them as they evangelize, as they do discipleship. And one of the beautiful things in China is that the revival was in the countryside, but now with training and leadership has moved to the cities and they're now reaching the cities of China. There are hundreds of cities in China with millions and millions of people. They are reaching them and now these city Christians, more educated, have caught the vision and they have more resources, have caught the vision for becoming not just a mission field, but a mission force to take Jesus across Asia and back to Jerusalem where it all started. It's been beautiful to see what's happened there. But in the midst of all of that, hear me, there's still 1.2 million, probably 1.2 to 1.3 billion Chinese who need Jesus. There's almost a billion and a half Indian people, people who live in India who need Jesus. There are almost two billion Muslims in the 1040 window across Asia, from North Africa, across the Middle East, into Iraq, across the Stan countries, and into uh, the Southeast Asia. Almost two billion bound by the tyranny and the brutality of Islam who need Jesus. And so, whether it be refugees, whether it be in our local communities, the poor, the children, the indifferent, whether it be China, whether it be India, whether it be in the Muslim communities, all over the world, a world 
in need? How are we going to get involved? What are we going to do about it? It's already been stated so clearly today that our first call is a call to pray. A prayer that the Lord of the harvest would send workers. I want to tell you from my own experience that can be risky, but I dare you to do it. Begin to pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers, and you may discover that you will become one of the answers to your own prayer. If you really care about the lost, if your heart has been broken with the things that break the heart of God, if you are aware that on our planet, about two-thirds of the people that live on this earth with us are on a collision course with eternity and are bound to be lost forever unless someone cares enough to get involved in making Christ known to them. If we can see this and begin to pray for laborers in the harvest field, I think we'll become the first answer to the prayer. And God will begin to open to us ways that we can be actively involved. We can be involved ourselves, in our own communities, in our neighborhoods, in neighborhoods not far away. We can be involved with our own lives, with our own witness, with the sharing of our own story, with being the love of Jesus in action, in reaching out with food or clothing, or reaching out in the marketplace to add value to those who, who have so many questions about life and death and eternity. As we begin to build relationships there, build friendships, and then begin to lead them to a discussion about eternal things and that which matters most and will count for all eternity. We can do this in our own lives personally. And then there's the opportunity of going in other ways, for example, going on work teams. I know that the Church of, Churches of Christ and Christian Union have always uh, had a program of work teams going around the world. I believe Go International continues to do the same. WGM provides such opportunities. There's that opportunity to go on our work team and, and, uh, and, and go and see what God is doing firsthand. Places that you've prayed for, missionaries that you've prayed for, and that you supported with your finances, you can go and be with them and work beside them and add encouragement and, and value and resources. Of course, there is the privilege of giving. And I've always contended that until we get uh, our resources, our finances, our possessions, our pocketbook right with God, our hearts cannot possibly be right with God. And those are the things, of course, that we must get on the altar so that we realize that we own nothing. It all belongs to God. And if it's given us any extra, it's for the evangelization of a lost world. I fully believe that God has given us extra because he mandated that we be involved. And one of our ways of involvement is through generous giving. But good, faithful, biblical stewards, managing his resources well, and then strategically investing them in the kingdom for his honor and for his glory. There are opportunities in business as mission, going as a tent maker, working somewhere in another part of the world, working somewhere in another city where you provide your own support and there you're involved in either church planting or you go overseas, your work, you're involved in evangelism or missionary work of one form or another and are able to do it self-supporting 
either here in this country or abroad, maybe going into an area of North America where there's a large refugee community or a large immigrant community and there get involved in cross-cultural ministry and yet using your own employment as a means of support so you can be a missionary there. There's still the opportunity to go as a traditional missionary where you build a support team and people become your partners in ministry and they become your prayer partners and your financial partners and you go together and do ministry and you serve around the world. And then of course, there are those who are in position sometimes because God's highly favored them for early retirement. Sometimes it's a regular retirement. Maybe they're a little bit older, but they can go as a volunteer. They may go into a needy neighborhood in the city. They may go to an area, move to an area of the world, not to go and find the sun and fun and shuffleboard and the tennis court. Uh, they might move to an area of the country where there is opportunity for cross-cultural ministry with hurting people, with displaced people, refugees or immigrants or whatever the case may be, or into the inner city where there are communities where there's such poverty and where there's drugs and where there's crime. I don't know what it may be, but they might be able to then, or they might go overseas. Let me tell you about uh, a wonderful missionary, one that I knew exceedingly well. She um, was my mom. My dad died, as I mentioned, when I was just 11. I had a little sister. To support us, my mom worked in the school lunchroom in our hometown down in Alma, Georgia where at one time, Brother David pastored. He knew my mom. My mom worked sub-minimum wage to provide for two kids. As I said, working in the school lunchroom. Eventually she retired. God took her to the mission field. She served on the American Indian field as a dorm mom. The junior high girls that she cared for called her Nanny Carter. She served there until her health would permit her to serve no longer, and she returned to her hometown. And then some years ago, she went to be with Jesus. I'll never forget the day of her funeral. I think it probably was one of the largest gatherings ever at my home church down in Alma, Georgia. It was packed and overflowing. People could not get inside. And then I remember as we went to the graveside, and the final words were spoken. She was committed, not just to the ground, but to the hands of God. As people began to come to me, and it seemed to me that I stood there for an eternity as they came from all ages and said, Doug, it was your mother that led me to Jesus. She led me to Jesus in my living room or in her living room. Doug, it was your mother in whom I first saw Jesus at her work. Doug, it was your mother invited me to Sunday school, and I came and met Jesus. Doug, it was your mother who invited me as a teenager to go with her to camp meeting. She paid my way and drove me there. And there I met Jesus, and I heard his call upon my life, and I've, I've served him in ministry, and some of them full-time across many years. These kind of stories were repeated over and over. And then letters came. Phone calls came. They came from people that she had supported in Bible college training. And they came from the mission field, from Navajos and Papagos and Hopis and 
Pimas and Apaches and others who said, I saw Jesus in Nanny Carter. It's where I first saw the love of Jesus. And at her knee, I knelt and I prayed, invited Jesus. My mother became a full-time missionary at 65, but the truth is she'd been a missionary all of her life. And I don't know how many people she led to the Lord, and I don't know how many people, others, those that she touched have led to the Lord. But I know this, my little mom, the 10th grade education, laid it all on the line. Jesus was everything to her. She knew that the world around her was lost. She saw. She saw the hurt. She saw the brokenness. She saw the need. And she gave her life to others to make a difference. I believe that's the call of God upon all of our lives today, to see, to see with our hearts, to move into action, to make a difference that would count for all eternity. Thank you, my friends, and God bless you, and I love you, and wish I could be with you there today. Well, here's what I'd like for us to, to do as we conclude here. We are seated in tables, and I don't think we need to take a long, long time. But I'd like for us just to take a few moments to, around the table, just talk to each other a few minutes. And I'd like you to ask, first of all, and just around the table, um, what does the Great Commission mean to you? Okay? What does it mean to you? And secondly, some of you that know me have heard me uh, use this over and over, and a lot of people say, David, there is no magic wand, but today there is. And if you could take a magic wand and say, I wish our church could blank about the Great Commission, whatever church you're from, I wish our church could do blank. Do you understand the question? What are, what, you're not worried about cost?